This episode was recorded live at the Wyeth Hotel in Brooklyn, New York at On Air Fest 2020. Please enter your password, then press pound. You have one new voice message. To listen to your messages, press one. First voice message. Uh, yeah, this message is for Katie Duquette. Uh, this is Bruce Cogburn. I'm calling in response to your multiple letters. I assume you got my P.O. box from my former publisher. As you know, I don't do interviews under any circumstances, and while I wish you the best of luck with your book, you cannot count on me to participate in it. Please stop writing me. Thank you. End of message. To erase this message, press 7. To save it, press 9. To hear more options, press 0. Message saved. When you obstinately continue a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition, you're said to be persistent. But whether you believe that's a good quality or a bad quality is a matter of perspective. Welcome to The Truth. I'm Jonathan Mitchell, and today we'll hear a story about persistence. A letter a day, every day, for as long as it takes. And after the story, writer Lewis Kornfeld, actor Michael Cullen, and I will talk about the story and also maybe answer a few questions. Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. Now back to the Hilly Earth Society. You have one new voice message. First voice message. Uh, yeah, this is Bruce Cogburn calling. I appreciate your tenacity, Miss Duquette, but you are wasting your energies. My experience with journalists has been, shall we say, cautionary. And despite your assurances, I have no interest in being held up for further ridicule nor in being betrayed as a right-wing, gun-toting, conspiratorial imbecile by people too ignorant, too lazy, or too cynical to bother doing a modicum of research on me or the philosophies I try to live my life by. I refuse to be your face of the angry white man. So please, give up your efforts. Thank you. Yeah, this is Bruce Cogburn again. Every time I make one of these calls to you, Miss Duquette, I have to drive 14 miles to the nearest payphone, and I'm beginning to get quite tired of it. I believe I have acted courteously towards you by reaching out and letting you know my position in regards to your book, but it seems I wasn't able to clearly get my message across, so let me express myself plainly to you in no uncertain terms. Piss off. I consider your letters harassment. Stop sending them. 
End of message. To erase this message, press <coughs> Message saved. End of new messages. Well, you do have pluck, I'll give you that. I'm just calling to congratulate you on your commitment to a full year of beleaguering. 365 handwritten letters is no small feat in this day and age. I once spent 11 snowbound days and nights trying to work my way up the devil's thumb in Colorado, so I have an appreciation for doggedness. Alas, even I had to turn back. Sometimes these things are not meant to be. I'll be getting rid of my P.O. box, so please don't stress yourself any further. This is the last you'll hear from me. End of message. You have no new messages. You have no new messages. You have no new messages. You have three new voice... First voice message. You're good guy. You really must be some kind of a nut. I mean, you, you might be the most persistent person I've ever met. Now, the way I figure it, you're either a world-class apple polisher who's systematically wearing down my will, or you're some kind of lost soul genuinely looking for a little guidance. I haven't decided which. Either way, you gotta cut this shit out. I was something of a sports icon a long time ago, and some people seem to think that means I should represent whatever their particular fantasy of a hero happens to be. This country has gone insane with people looking for quote-unquote experts and quote-unquote celebrities to tell them what to, how to think and how to feel about every goddamn thing. Well, Ms. Duquette, my opinions are ultimately besides the point. Go out and see the world for yourself. Trust your own senses and make up your own damn mind. And don't turn to me to tell you how to think about anything. I'm not anyone's spokesman. I'm certainly no Nazi. Yeah. End of message. To erase this message, press Message saved. Next message. All right, here's a question. What, in your opinion, Miss Duquette, is the outstanding characteristic of humanity? Is it tool making? Language? Yeah, I think it's obedience. Do what you're told. Think like those around you. I mean, it makes sense. We're social animals. We've evolved to get along with each other to do... Uh, Agree each with each other for the most part. Dominance hierarchies certainly tidy up some of that chaos of interacting with other humans. But we're the only creature on Earth that is arrogant about our obedience. Have you ever noticed that the folks most desperate to have a pack leader to obey are also the ones who tend to be the loudest and the proudest of their so-called independent spirit? Most people, don't, most people don't have a sensitive enough palate for irony, I suppose. I'm a little drunk. Here, here's an argument for you in favor of the Flat Earth Society, right off the top of my head. Now, photographic evidence supports the view of a spherical Earth, but that doesn't mean the Earth is round. 
Think about it. Most of us have neither seen nor felt the Earth as a round body, except in photographs. From a phenomenological perspective, the Earth you and I inhabit is flat. The world I walk on every day is flat. Well, actually, the world I walk on every day is very hilly. So I guess I stand for the hilly Earth Society. But the flat earthers don't go far enough, in my opinion. They miss the mark somewhat in calling the Earth flat. It's clearly both flat and round and hilly, and then many other shapes, too. So you go outside and see for yourself. Now, don't get me started on who really wrote Shakespeare's plays. This, this is Bruce Cogburn, by the way. End of message. To erase. Message saved. Next message. Uh, yeah, this is Bruce Cogburn again. In regards to my last message, I hope I didn't give you the impression that I really believe in anything that I said. As Ezra Pound tells us, belief is paralysis of the mind. Stop writing me. End of message. You have no new messages. You have no new messages. You have no new messages. You have one new voice message. An interesting thing happened to me this morning. I went out for my daily ambulation. What do you think I found right outside my door? Would you believe it if I told you a first edition of the Freedom of the Hills was sitting back there? Now, you may know that that's the book I had with me the first time I attempted El Capitan free climb, back in 1974. It is no easy task to find me, Miss Duquette. I don't leave much of a paper trail. Now, I should tell you that some of the things that have been said about me happen to be true. For instance, if I catch anyone trespassing on my property, that person will be shot on sight. And that's not a threat, simply a fact. Keep away from me and my home and do not test the sincerity of my resolve. This is the last you'll hear from me. End of message. I'm of uh, two minds when it comes to apologizing. On the one hand, um, you know, life is best lived looking forwards and there's no use crying over spilt milk. But on the other hand, it strengthens a particular kind of integrity to own up to one's mistakes. Nobility enriches the world's soul. Wouldn't you agree? Now, I've known some interesting people in my life. Every generation seems to generate a crop. And most fuck up their lives before they get to do anything particularly noteworthy. But some, a handful of a handful, might take a little risk and teach all the rest of us what it means to be noble. I'm not talking about fame. Any asshole can be famous. But nobility takes a rare kind of resolve. See, our, our, our age lacks a feel for nobility. Ours is the age of distraction the age of the foggy diffusion of the, the human soul. 
I happen to subscribe to the theory which says a person's got to earn their soul in this lifetime. Experience has demonstrated to me that everyone is born with some kind of potential. A little cosmic startup money, if you please. And it's up for you to figure out how you'll invest it. And again, it's up to you to see to your investments. And for God's sakes, don't put it in the hands of the experts. This is your soul we're talking about. But I, I, I digress. My subject was nobility. Look to the fringes, those places that are closest to the chaos, the places society likes to pretend don't exist. That's where you'll find the best our species has to offer, the weirdos, the mutants, the, the dirtbags. Christ was born in a manger, after all. Now, that doesn't mean God is humble. It means you can find him in a shithole where no one thinks to look. Anyway, I'm sorry I said I'd kill you. <laughs> Please accept the present in the spirit of contrition. A, a, a blurb for your book. Quote, Katie Duquette is a genuine pain in the ass, but she's got a little personality. Bruce Cogburn. End quote. Merry Christmas, if you believe in that sort of thing. Um, there's a there's a cafe called the Miss Lindenville, and just outside Barton, Vermont, uh, often anyone. If you're there Friday morning around 11 a.m. Maybe I'll be there too. Who knows? All right. End of message. You have one new voice message. To listen to your messages, press one. To change your personal options, press four. To disconnect, press star. To listen to your messages, press one. To change your personal first voice message. I won't lie to you, Mr. Kett. Um, I had every intention of uh, standing you up on Friday, but uh, the day came, I figured, what the hell. Might as well get this over with. Maybe I'll finally get you off my back. Imagine my surprise when I found out that you were the one who stood me up. Uh, the wit isn't lost on me. I haven't uh, received a letter from you for now for a couple of days, so I just wanted to call and say that I'm glad my message has finally gotten through. <clears throat> it's time to move on and find another victim for your pestering. You, you can keep the blurb, though. You've earned it. And good luck with everything. Uh, yeah, this is Bruce Cogburn again. I mean, seeing as how we're... Uh, pen pals of a sort. Um, it wouldn't be indelicate of me not to inquire after your health, uh, see whether or not you've been kidnapped or run off and gotten married or had a mental breakdown or got mauled by a bear. Yeah, who knows? So feel free to you know, send me a postcard. Just let me know you're still alive. You have my P.O. box. And, uh, and then after that, please don't bother writing again. <clears throat> What I have seen by time's fell hand defaced, 
the rich, proud cost of outworn, buried age. When sometime lofty towers I see down-raised, and brass eternal slave to mortal rage. When I have seen the hungry ocean gain advantage on the kingdom of the shore, and the firm soil win of the watery main increasing store with loss, and loss with store. When I have seen such interchange of state, or state itself confounded to decay, ruin hath taught me thus to ruminate, that time will come and take my love away. This thought is as a death, which cannot choose but weep to have that which it fears to lose. So William Shakespeare. Or so we're told. <laughs> Sonnet 64. Now here's the inscription of William Shakespeare Stratford on Avon's grave. Good friend, for Jesus' sake, forbear to dig the dust and close it here. Blessed be, be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. Seems to be a bit of a gap between the sonnet and the epitaph, uh, when you agree? Have you read Shakespeare of uh, Stratford's Last Will and Testament? Let's just say it lacks the spirit of generosity found in such a surprising abundance in the man's plays. Did you know that William uh, Shakespeare of Stratford didn't own a single book? If, uh, if you wanted to send me a draft of your book, uh, I don't know, maybe I could offer some feedback. All right, all right. End of message. Message saved. You have two new voice messages. To listen to your messages, press one. To change your personal options, press four. To disconnect, press star. To listen to your messages, press one. To change your personal First voice message. It's a relief to know you're alive and well. And I received your book and just uh, got finished reading it. It's quite good. I particularly enjoyed the way you wove in some of my phone messages and as quotes, despite the fact I told you I wouldn't participate in any interviews. <laughs> Is that clever loophole? I think your teacher graded it unfairly. So you're 12 years old. Well, uh, you have outstanding handwriting. <laughs> it couldn't have uh, been easy for you after all this uh, time with me thinking I was corresponding with an adult to tell me the truth. Now, it's bold of you, risking embarrassment for yourself, embarrassment for me, that takes character, which I applaud. To be perfectly honest, I was worried the, uh, the two of us were becoming friends. Uh, I'm glad to be disabused of that, having sworn off the entanglements of friendship long ago. So, look, I know I told you to never listen to me or anyone else for advice, uh, so, so, so I won't bother giving you any. I mean, you're a smart kid. 
and I look forward to learning about your future adventures. So just, you know, keep me posted every now and again. All right. End of message. To erase this message. Message saved. Next message. And one last thought, though. In my opinion, the most important thing in this life is to find out what your natural gifts are and then dedicate yourself to bringing those gifts to fruition. Every individual person has a unique presence to offer the world, so don't keep it back. And let your gifts be your true guide. And, and, and head outdoors. Renewal is always out of doors. And lie a lot. The oversized personality will not grow in a soul cluttered with too many facts. It requires the salutary waters of grandiose imagination. So lie to everyone but yourself. Try not to believe anything, especially your own bullshit. Entertains lot, entertain lots of interesting ideas, but believe very few. Confirmation bias is the enemy of free thought, so Go out of your way to find the evidence that disproves your own belief systems. And all right, that's, that's the best I got. This is the last uh, you'll hear from me. Good luck. To hear more stories like this, go to thetruthpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is The Truth Fiction. Are you familiar with the Sufi trickster Nasruddin? I'm reminded of his story involving his search for his missing donkey. The Hillier Society was written by Lewis Kornfeld, produced by me, Jonathan Mitchell, and performed by Michael Cullen. If you want my advice, Invent an origin story for yourself. The Truth is a proud founding member of Radiotopia from PRX. We're a curated network of amazing shows, and you can learn more about all the Radiotopia shows at radiotopia.fm. We're born astride the grave. The light gleams an instant, and then it's night once more. Happy 16th birthday. This is the last you'll hear from me. We'll be back with a live Q&A about the Hillier Society in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. I've talked a lot about how I like to play uh, video games while I listen to podcasts. It's kind of like like driving or doing chores. It gives me something to do. It gives my eyes something to do and occupies a part of my mind that kind of makes it easier for me to listen to podcasts. And the game I love to play the most right now is called Best Fiends. It's a matching puzzle game. It's a casual game that anyone can play and you can spend as much time or as little time as you want. I happen to spend a lot of time playing. Let's see what level I'm on this week. I am on level 1735, closing in on 2000, folks. It's going to be a major party when I when I hit that number. But it's a fun game. Every single one of those 1,735 levels I've played has been different. And they introduce all these new elements every so often that keep it interesting and challenging and fun. It's fun to look at. It's fun to play. And it goes great with listening to podcasts. 
Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. And trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. And now back to our live Q&A from On Air Fest 2020. Hey, everyone. So I'm here. I'm joined by uh, Lewis Kornfeld, who wrote the story you just heard. <laughs> Thank you. And Michael Cullen. Uh, so Lewis and I uh, have been working together for quite some time since before the podcast started. Uh, the podcast started in 2012. And uh, I remember first meeting you, it, was, it, wasn't, it was over the phone, I was auditioning you for a story that was an assignment from Studio 360 to adapt, they're made out of meat, a Terry Bisson short story. Uh, and I auditioned you for a part that I gave to Russ Armstrong. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you since worked with me way more than Russ Armstrong. Also correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've written, a, how, how, about how many stories would you say you've written for the show? I think I've written 25. Uh-huh. And you're in almost every episode as an uh, actor. I, I'm in, yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a bunch. Yeah. yeah. And so, so this, this uh, story we, um, we put on the show about two years ago in 2018. Can you remember what inspired it, what you were trying to get across with the story? Uh, I was uh, trying to find a different way to tell a story using sound. Uh, a lot of the stories before this one, the idea would kind of be like, where would we put a microphone to hear from an interesting perspective? So it's a lot of like, put the microphone inside someone's mind and hear their thoughts. Um, so I thought it would be kind of, kind of interesting to just tell the story using nothing but voicemails. And I, I like the idea of the longer the story goes on, the more you start to identify with Katie, the one who's receiving the voicemails. I like that you start to kind of pick up what she's thinking based on how she's, which button she's pressing. So I like, the, I like the sense of getting the smallest amount of personality for the character who's the surprise main character of the story. Right, yeah. You, you, she um, expresses herself entirely through how buttons are pressed. Right, yeah. yeah. That's, that's really nice. Yeah. Um, it, it, what I remember, if I remember correctly, originally the, we were trying to figure out who she was, and she wasn't 12 at first. Right. right? And so do you remember what, what inspired that choice? To make her 12? Yeah. Uh, desperation. We were getting close to deadline, and we didn't have an ending, and I think that it was a lot of discussion about where the story kind of falls apart, which was it needed to have some kind of interesting reveal, or some, so there had to be some, some place for it to land at the end. I don't think I came up with the idea of her being 12. I don't remember who, who pitched that, but it was, it was the kind of thing where as soon as somebody said it, everything kind of fell into place. Yeah, it was probably me. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and Michael, uh, what, what did you think of the script when you first got it? Uh, I really liked it. It's, um, it requires very little effort. It's just all on the page, if you know what I mean. Um, you just have to say it, and it's there. So, yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was very funny. Yeah. How do you imagine this character? Do you, do you, who, do you, who do you see this guy as being? Well, uh, we talked about the John Krakauer and who's the guy? I, I can never remember names. The guy who wrote Franny and Zoe and Catcher in the Rye. What's it? J.D. Salinger. Salinger, you know, kind of. You know, somebody who's famous for being, you know, hiding out all the time. Yeah. Somebody who takes himself so seriously. And it was a pretty straightforward piece to do. I mean, we, we really just recorded yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time we re recorded it didn't take more than an hour, hour and a half tops. Yeah. 
and that's because it's right there. Um, and so, Lewis, Lewis, you and I have worked together for a long time now. What is it that keeps you coming back? I've often wanted to ask you this question, but I feel awkward doing it in person. I mean, when we're in no normal conversation. It would be a weird question to it, ask it, it, normally. Yeah, yeah, normally it would be weird. But, um, but here we are. Uh, I, I feel like on this show we have, um, I've figured out how to tell stories. The audio is a very, very specific way to think through stories, and it's been a, a really interesting learning curve to try to... Like, I always think of a story very visually. I always think about how to, how to put details in that someone listening with their headphones will actually be seeing what's happening. And it took me a while to, to kind of uh, think about that and to think about ways to actually hook people and involve them through through the main conflict of the story. But I feel like once I got it, I started to get hooked on, on what are better ways that we can do it every time. So yeah. I'm always hoping every time that we'll... What was the breakthrough for you? I mean, was there a story that you were working on where you're like, oh, I get it now? Or do you, still, do you feel like you get it at all? Um, no. Every time I think I have it, I have to write another story and then I forget it. Yeah. It's, it seems like you learn, you learn all this stuff from every story that you, uh, you can never use again. Yes. Yes, every yeah. story is its own. That is, there's, yes, it's terrible. <laughs> and you do yeah. forget every single time you start a new story. I think the best thing I could say is every story should involve someone going to their own kind of hell at some point. Yeah, it's like, you can think of an inciting incident, and then when you're trying to figure out who the character is, you ask, well, for whom would this be their worst nightmare? Right, yeah. How do you deal with hell? Is How do you deal with your kind of hell is kind of, is kind of the best the best way and and looking for like where would be where would be the interesting friendship is the other thing I try to think about with stories uh-huh um, do you guys does anybody have a question I was just gonna ask how long it took you to write that maybe two months maybe does that sound right yeah maybe even less I maybe mean, less yeah it yeah was a pretty quick one yeah yeah I'd say I maybe, maybe two months on the outside can I ask a question that's not about this story, but about other stories? Yeah. Sure. So one of my favorite things that you guys have done was the off season. And uh, for those who may not know, it, it was kind of centered around this idea of the Me Too movement and, uh, and a television host who got sequestered off to his, his own little place out in the Hamptons kind of vibe. I don't know if any of you were involved in that story. I'm assuming you were, Jonathan. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about like what, what it was why you told that story and, and the specifics about that story that you felt uh, needed to be told and, and how it impacted maybe future stories that you've told. Right. Um, well, that story was pitched to us. I mean, I, I, I wanted uh, Marina and Nico, the writers, uh, to write something for us. And, um, and so they pitched us about five, five or six ideas, and that was the one that felt like it had the legs. And I think what a appealed to me about the story was it ended up not being the thing that was really appealing about it, which was um, I wanted to do a story about a home intruder, someone who was hiding out in, a, in someone else's house unknown to them. Uh, and, um, and so I liked that, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll take this, and then, and then we'll just sort of push it in that, more in that direction. But they, they were much more interested in of dealing with sexual harassment in this way. And... Um, I felt comfortable having them do it because it was, you know, a woman and uh, Nico is um, a person of color, and so it would be like an, an interesting perspective on that. Taking a male character and sort of telling the first episode from his perspective felt like a risky move, but it would be okay in their hands, you know. And I wanted to see what they would do with it. 
anybody else? Um, so this is, oh, is it on? Yes, okay. Um, so this is a question for Lewis, but also for all of you as people interacting with fiction, writing and producing fiction. Um, Lewis, you said writing fiction for audio is like a specific type of experience. I'm wondering, did you come from a, a writing background that was not made for audio before starting to work with the truth? And what are some transferable lessons from your previous path, and what are the things that you felt you had to learn anew when you were writing for audio? Yeah, um, no, I, I come from an improvising background, so everything for me is live on stage. Uh, I was actually like brought on to the truth originally as an improviser. I was, the idea was people would pitch stories and then a team of improvisers would kind of work on, on fleshing out some of the dialogue. Um, uh, so I had a very limited writing background. I, I what I learned was um, understanding a person's point of view very clearly and quickly is really important. Having a person face uh, face an obstacle and having and and being able to understand why for them it's an obstacle. So as quickly as possible, you want to put the audience inside that person's mind to understand the problems that they're that they're facing. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, clear clear point of view, I would say, is the really the really big thing. Great. We had a question over here. Yeah, <clears throat> so I, I am more. I come from the journalism background, but I'm really more and more intrigued by the potential of fiction. I just struggle with it in audio because I feel like I can hear people acting, <laughs> and I wonder. Um, this is potentially a question for all of you, based on how you approached it today, but. Um, how do you solve for that? Like, is it in the writing? Is it in the way it's directed? Is it the way it's mic'd? Is it a combination of all those three? It's definitely all of them. Got all it. of those things are important. Um, um, can you speak to maybe some mistakes you've made and how you corrected um, for them or um, any? Well, I, I, I've miscast things. Um, I've um, Sometimes it also you know the, it starts with the writing obviously and and the writer is going to bring a particular stylistic attitude towards the the way people talk to one another like if it's a comedy it's much more heightened um, I tend to enjoy doing the pieces that are maybe a little bit more naturalistic um, and so for those the the dialogue is often a little bit more mundane and so we can we can play around with it a little bit more it gives us more places to go through performance and so. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have them learn the dialogue and then have them do a bunch of takes that are just improv takes. And I'll always end with a free take where they can do whatever they want. It's like, we've, we have it, it's done, so now play. And um, if you get really great improvisers doing that who are really grounded, who don't go off into crazy town, but really keep it true, then you'll get, you'll get the best material on that take. And then, um, and then how it's edited, it's, like, it's, it's about choosing the right take. And usually I have a lot of takes I would ne never want to use. And then there's like that one, hopefully there's one that I want to use, you know. And that's, that's when you're directing, you're like waiting for that oftentimes. I mean, if you're working with really great actors, then they'll give you that right away. And it's more about shaping it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's even like things as, as that might, you might not even think about, like pacing. That's super important to getting there. Um, like 100 milliseconds is a huge amount of time, you know? So just like nudging it can reflect something very interesting about the uh, psychology of the characters. Do you guys have anything else to add to that? I agree. 
<laughs> There's a question back there. I, I'm curious if you could speak a little bit to taking a story that you intended for audio podcast and transferring it to live performance like today. Well, so for this, I didn't want to filter it like a phone. I mean, on, on the podcast, I was going for a very literal sound design. I wanted it to. I wanted you to think that we maybe we recorded these off, literally recorded someone doing this on a machine, and um, I added all kinds of ambience to it. I put it like we imagine that he had this history where he goes to a phone out by out in the highway and he has to use a phone booth. You know, it's like the only phone in town, and so a bunch of the calls have like this highway going on in the background. You know. Um, and I could do more specific things, like with the foley, with the glass, the ice clinks, and the sips. That was all very, um, you know. I mean, we did a, Michael did a beautiful job today with it. But um, I was able to get, like, really nice close mic stuff with that. So, so there's a lot of subtlety and, and realism that went into the podcast. And this is more about engaging with Michael as a performer. Um, it's about being in the, the room with him and, and, and you know enjoying his performance. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. There are a lot of online resources about the way we make stories. We'll put a few links on our website. In particular, there's an article all about the making of our story Sylvia's Blood, and I've written a couple of articles about sound design that appeared on transom.org. So if you're interested in this, please go check them out. Thank you so much to Scott Newman and HonorFest 2020 for hosting us and for making everything go so smoothly and so easily. And thank you for listening. The Truth is a part of Radiotopia from PRX, a network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts. You can find out more at radiotopia.fm. We've been working on lots of new stories, and we have a brand new one coming for you in two weeks. Stay safe, everyone. Our associate producer is Carrie Allenfelt. I'm Jonathan Mitchell. And you have been hearing... The Truth is...